Lord, your name is beautiful. It is wonderful. It is powerful. And Lord, we just thank you so much for who you are. You are our rock and our redeemer, uh, that you never change. And, and yet at the same time, you make all things new. So God, I thank you for the change of, of how, going into this, this new season, Lord, how you make all things new. And Lord, I pray that you'd meet each and every one of us here. God, we pray today, this morning, uh, as we start the new school year for many people today, Lord, I pray for each of the students, each of the teachers, each of the parents, Lord, that you would fill them with strength this next school year, that you would prepare them, Lord, that they would honor you and glorify you in the midst of this year. Lord, that each of us, as, 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 as part of your body of Christ, would shine as bright lights in the schools and in our workplaces and wherever we go this fall. Lord, we thank you for who you are. As we open your word now, I pray that you would change us, that you would meet us right where we are, that we would hear from you, that we would be your people. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would shape us, that you would challenge us, Lord, and that you would give us hope, because Lord, you overcome the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's so good to see everybody here, to see a lot of new faces today, uh, a lot of faces that maybe aren't so new but haven't seen in a while. So uh, it's good to have everybody back and, and regathered as we kind of go into the school year. Uh, and as you walked in the door, you probably received a name tag. And the reason that we do that is so that everybody knows your name, uh, so that we can make it easier to connect uh, as, we, as you come in here, and, and so we can all connect and we're kind of all on the same page as we try and get to know each other and connect in many ways. Because our, one of the bit most important things for us here is that you are known. Just like your Father in Heaven knows you, we want to know you and we want to be known. And so that's what we want to do. And so if you are new here, we want to help you connect. And so help, let us know if you're new. We'd love to help you kind of connect and find ways to, to, to connect uh, here at 121 in the life that we have here. So uh, as we go into the scripture today, I'm going to read Joshua 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 and then 8 and 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all his people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. And in verse 8, the book, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. as Eric was mentioning our name tags, I realized I didn't have one. So I made a quick sprint outside, got my name tag, ready to go. 
Uh, and I just want to reiterate that. That's been a culture for us over the years, and it just makes it easier, as uh, Eric stated, um, just to remember people, uh, and it just makes the greeting kind of easier. So thank you for doing that. And uh, you're feeling really exposed right now. If you don't have one, uh, you can run just like I did, and I'll uh, pause for a moment. I'm just kidding. I, I love that on the Promotion Sunday, we have the opportunity to think about uh, what, what God does in the way that we pour into others, and then what happens when we do that. Uh, the other day, I was meeting with someone, and they mentioned about the next generation, that the next generation is actually the now generation. And I love, I love that idea. Uh, we're not talking about our kids uh, being the next generation. They, they are leaders today uh, in so many ways. And I want to give you just a, a visual uh, of how that's happened at 121 with one particular student. So let's take a look at Riley's story as we think about uh, the courage to follow God today. My name is Riley. I um, have been going to 121 since I've been in kindergarten. Um, me and my two older sisters have also been going here with um, my mom and my dad. So I've been through each program here at 121. This week we are here in Colorado um, to ha have our students camp. And just something really cool is that um, some of the students that are here who are in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, I actually was um, their leader for active camp. So it's been really cool to watch the students like come from third grade all the way up and just really just see them grow. Hi y'all, I'm Riley. I've been one of your dancers. Hi, hi. So God tells us in Matthew 7, 24, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise man who built his house on the rock. So I started in 121 Kids and I went to all the church camps and I, I got to participate in active camp when it first started and just Miss Diana really made it very intentional for us as students to learn the basics of what the gospel is. So actually when I was in third grade, I accepted Jesus into my heart and I started from a young age seeing my parents lead out. My mom was also a teacher there so it was fun to like go up with her and she would do all the Bible studies that we would do. And my dad was a greeter so that was really cool. When I entered middle school, I was actually Jermaine's first year so he started when I was in sixth grade and he was such a massive impact on my life my life was not my own it was the Lord's and I just wanted to be a servant leader for him and so I started helping out in students so full circle I went back to first grade to help out those students and so that was a really cool experience for me to help those students out when I was a freshman in high school and so I did graduate in 2022 and so I um, went to Dallas Baptist University. So now I am the student intern for um, the students, um, sixth grade through 12th grade. So through that, like I found that the Lord had just put it on my heart to just really be a light to those middle schoolers. Because when I was in middle school, I had a really hard time um, in life. So just being able to like pour back into that and the Lord has brought me this such unique way. Come on, come on, come on. You got it, you got it. You got it, good. You know, the Lord has definitely been using me in that way, but he's also been teaching me in that way too. So it's been amazing to be the student turn. And that God is your firm foundation and it's not gonna be like sand where it just collapses. He will have that firm foundation and he's never going to leave you. Yeah.
you turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, uh, we'll be in verses 1 through 18. Uh, and what I'd like to do this morning is heavily anchor into verses 1 and 2, uh, and then spend a decent amount of time in 3 through 9. I'll overview 10 through 18, uh, and I would encourage you uh, to, to hang out in Joshua this week. Uh, and this is where we'll be for the next uh, several weeks in the fall. We're going to do a chapter-by-chapter study of Joshua. Uh, and just hang out in that part of God's Word for a bit uh, and see what God has uh, for us. Uh, sometimes people have wondered why, why we spend time in the Old Testament. It just seems so long ago. The names are hard. Uh, the places are unfamiliar. Sometimes we read just chapter after chapter and we're thinking, all right, I just lost track of those kings. I don't understand who follows who, who was good, who was not. Uh, the prophets are hard because uh, I don't understand the historical context. And so we might just tend to bail on the Old Testament. Uh, and yet, to understand the new requires that we understand what we call the Old Testament. Paul actually writes in Romans 15, 4, uh, and here he says, in the New Testament, he's writing, and he says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Paul says we have all of the scriptures and what was written in earlier times so that we might be encouraged and that we might have hope. And as we study Joshua together, uh, that will be part of how I'm praying along the way, that we would be encouraged by the scriptures, these earlier writings, and that our hearts would spring up with hope as a result of what it is that God is saying to us. Now, Jesus says this, the same thing in Luke 24, uh, 44 and 45. He gives the, the validity and the strength and the power of these earlier writings. In verse 44, this was after Jesus was resurrected. And he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus says that, that which is in the law, that which is in the prophets, in the Psalms, it's about him. He said, it's about me. So when we read the Old Testament, we're actually reading about Jesus. And it's pointing us to what we read in the Gospels. And then after the Gospels, everything points back to Jesus. Jesus is the center of it all. In Colossians 3, verse 2, it says, in Christ himself, and then in verse 3, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we have that wisdom and knowledge all throughout the scriptures. Christ is the center. They're hidden in him. My prayer will be that we're encouraged, that we find hope, and that our minds in verse 45 are opened to understand the scriptures. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I pray that God would open your mind and open my mind to understand what he's saying. We're dependent on him to understand it. Well, before we get into Joshua 1, I want to give quick context uh, for where we are uh, in Joshua. Uh, it's important that when we study different parts of God's word that we understand what's happening before it, we understand what's happening during it, and that we get a grip on what's happening beyond it. We want to understand context. 
in just big overview context, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, the Jews refer to that as the Torah. It's the books of the law. Uh, it's also called the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the law. Uh, in Genesis, we see the beginnings. We see that God creates, and humans then break that which God's crea- what God creates. In Genesis 12, there's a really important promise because it's the beginning of God's redemption plan. And he makes a promise to a man named Abram, and he says, out of you will come a nation, and then I'll give you a land for that nation, and you'll be a blessing. He promises that to Abram. Throughout the rest of Genesis, the nation of Israel is formed and shaped. We enter into Exodus, the second book of the Bible, and we find that this nation has been established, but now they're enslaved to Egypt. God's people for 430 years were enslaved. But God raises up a deliverer, Moses, and the people are set free. And in the rest of Exodus, he sets what is the law and says, this is what it means to be my people and what you're to do to be my people. In Leviticus is usually where we get stalled out when we do those through the, year, uh, through the Bible in a year plans. And it's a descriptor of the sacrificial system as a result of the Israelites' inability to keep the law. And God established a way for them to be forgiven when they break the law, and it was through the sacrifices that he established. We find ourselves in Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible, and it's there that Moses is with them, and, uh, and they're moving towards that promised land that God has given the nation But there's disobedience among the people, and now God is going to wait out for 40 years, this generation to pass away that had no faith, and then a new generation will enter into that promised land. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Moses is reiterating what's already been given. They're on the east of the Jordan River, waiting to cross it into the land that we know today is Israel. And there's a transfer of leadership that starts to happen because Moses will not be the one that will take the people into the land. First five books of the Bible. And then that brings us to Joshua. And Joshua is the first book of what is called history books in the Bible. And there's about a thousand years of history that starts to unfold with Joshua. But this section is also considered as part of the prophets. When Jesus said in Luke 24 that the law, the prophets, and the Psalms speak of him, Joshua is actually at the forefront of the prophets that speak of Jesus. So how do these things speak of Jesus? Two big ones that we grab hold of. Moses, the deliverer of the people, is a foreshadowing of Christ who will be the ultimate deliverer of people. Joshua will be the one that takes the people into the promised land. Jesus is the one that will take us into that final promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. It points us to Jesus in a big way. That's the overview uh, that gets us uh, to Joshua 1. Now, our series is called The Courage to Follow God. Someone said something to me as a good comment that a lot of our sermon series have had the word courage in them or standing firm or something like that. And there's a reason for that. We live in a day 
and we probably always have lived in a day where it requires courage to live and to follow God. And what we'll see in Joshua is a man who is not necessarily the greatest military strategist as much as he was a man who was willing and had the courage to follow what God's strategy was for him. So we want to think about that courage to follow God, and that's what I want to think about this morning uh, as we lock into Joshua 1. And the first idea, uh, there'd be a number of ways to say this. This is how I chose to say it this week. In verses 1 and 2, if we're going to follow God with courage, then we need to be about preparing others or being prepared or both. And I tend to think that for the majority of us, it will usually be both, that God is working in and through us to prepare other people to follow after God courageously, at the same time while we're being prepared to do the same. I think most of the time, it's both. Sometimes uh, it might be a bit of either or. Verse 1, now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, and then verse 2, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Let's go back to verse 1. We're in this transition point. Uh, Moses was able to see the promised land. But God did not work in and through him to bring the people into it. And this transfer of leadership is happening. Moses has died. He's 120 years old. He's vigorous at the time he dies. He was still a man of strength in the way he was leading. Uh, and, uh, and then he dies. And this is the way Joshua starts. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now, there's a, a real honor that happens here in verses 1 and 2. Moses is called the servant of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you consider it an honor to be a servant of someone or not. But in God's working, it is a privilege and an honor to be a servant of his. And God is very personal in speaking about Moses. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Not just that Moses is a servant of the Lord, like in verse 1, but in verse 2, Moses, my servant. Joshua will not hear that distinction until the last chapter of the book of Joshua. At the end of Moses' life, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. What an honor to have lived a life and finish it strong, so that God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses, my servant. Now, if we can get ourselves in this moment a little bit, I don't know what leaders in your lives have been strategic and important and a really big deal to you, but we need to keep in mind what's happening here. For 40 years, Moses had led the people. He was their deliverer out of Egyptian slavery. He was the one that gave them the law. He was their military leader. He was their judicial leader. He was their cultural leader. He solved conflicts for them. <clears throat> Moses was a leader in every sense of the word <clears throat> for the people for 40 years. That, that's the bulk of someone's working life. 
same leader, now gone. Now, what happens in our culture today when there are really well-known leaders? <clears throat> they do a fantastic job. They, they lead for years, and then they move on. You, you can do this anywhere, and oftentimes, the next leader fails. It's really difficult to follow someone who leads so exceptionally. And yet we have this transfer coming, and, and so often someone has to be kind of the fall guy or the fall woman in that leadership role, and, uh, and they last a little bit, and then people are actually ready to be led again by someone <laughs> that will really lead them. So that's the scenario. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Moses isn't here anymore. What are we going to do? We're about to go into this land with all these militarily prepared people and take it, but we don't have our leader. Where's our leader? That, that's, what's, that's what's happening. But there's a transfer, and Joshua is ready. He, he's being told by God, my servant Moses is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm going to give them to the sons of Israel. It's, it's your time. I was listening to Crawford Loritz the other day. He's a pastor in the middle part of the U.S., and he was speaking at a pastor's conference years ago on this passage in Joshua 1, 1 through 9. And John Piper, who was, uh, many of you know John Piper, some of you don't, uh, but he would be uh, someone a lot of us just really value uh, in, in what he teaches. And Piper is sitting right over here. It's his pastor's conference that he's hosting and Crawford Loritz is preaching through this passage and says, and looks at John Piper and he said, it's like Piper dies and then God just says, next. You see, in God's economy of scale, it's just next. Timothy Keller passed away a few months ago and, and, and he's been an incredible leader for decades now. And his legacy and what God's done with him, it will live on for a long time. But in God's scale of economy, next, he's, Timothy Keller was in his spot for the season he needed to be in his spot. Next, Moses did his deal for 40 years. Next, and Joshua's ready. Now, why was Joshua ready? Because he had been with Moses. Years ago, I read something, and it's just the with me principle. And that's what we see with Joshua, that with me principle. He was actually with Moses in a variety of settings, and he saw the leadership of Moses. And it wasn't that he read a leadership book about Moses. It wasn't that he was just being instructed by Moses. He was with him, and he was able to observe and watch what God did with Moses. And for that reason... He was ready. There doesn't need to be someone between Moses and him for him to succeed. He was with Moses. Now, I made a commitment when I came back from my sabbatical that I would not badmouth any other colleges. I said I didn't know how long that would last. I'm a flawed human being. Uh, and, but I'm continuing today to do that. I, I am not submitting to my flaw on this day. 
It might be another day, but not on this day. But the University of Alabama, Nick Saban, has been the coach, football coach, as we approach college football season, which a number of us are excited about that. And Nick Saban has been wildly successful for a long time. He's in his 70s, and there's no sign of slowing down. And I would think most every coach in the nation would love to coach under Nick Saban at the University of Alabama. His coaching tree is phenomenal. They don't want to read about him. They don't want to go to a conference that he leads. They want to be on his staff so they can watch every morning, every afternoon, every night. This is what Nick Saban does, and this is why this program continues to be a successful program, and this is why these coaches continue to be successful when they go off to lead their own. They're with him. They're with him. And they see. And they'll take the things that are good and they'll delete the things that won't work for them. But for a period of time, they're with him. And Joshua was with Moses. If I could do this in rapid fire motion, some of you will, uh, y'all, y'all tell me that I go fast sometimes when I do the scripture references. I'm going to own it this morning. I'm going to go fast. I want to give you a picture of Joshua being with Moses. There will be one verse on the screen. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to recap real quick. And if you'd like to study this, just write them down real quick and study everything that's around it. Okay? That would be a way to do it. Don't everybody get your pens ready at once. But here you go. All right? This is it. Exodus chapter 17, verses 9 through 11, 9 and 11. First time we meet Joshua, he's about to go to battle against the Amalekites. Moses raises his hands, and when he raises his hands, Joshua's winning. When he drops his hands, when he's weary, Joshua loses. Ultimately, they figure it out how to keep his hands up. Joshua wins. What does Joshua see at the very outset? That God fights his battles a whole different way than we ever would. That's going to come in handy in Joshua. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 13, Joshua goes up the mountain with Moses, and Moses receives the Ten Commandments and the other parts of the law. And for 40 days and 40 nights, Moses is in this cloud, and the people down below are just saying, they're in awe because they're seeing this consuming fire and the glory of God. And Moses is right in the middle of it, and Joshua was just off to the side watching it. So he was near in proximity to Moses in a deep encounter with God. Exodus 32, verse 17. Joshua and Moses, they're coming down off the mountain. The people had gotten impatient. They quickly turned on God. They took their jewelry and all their gold. They threw it into a fire. Out of the fire came a golden calf. Moses says, hey, what happened here? I don't know. We just threw our jewelry in there, and out came this golden calf. And then all of a sudden, we were dancing around it and worshiping it. We have no idea how this just happened. Moses is upset, so Joshua gets to see an upset Moses. He's so upset, he throws down the tablets that God had just given him with those commands on them. But then he also sees Moses intercede on behalf of the people that God will not, in his anger, kill them. Joshua gets to see this people and how quickly they will turn on God. 
In Exodus 33, 11, he's in close proximity to him. Uh, God says, uh, well, Moses meets with him. He comes out, his face is the glory of God is all over him. Moses is right there in the, uh, by the tent next to him. In Numbers 11, verse 28, uh, there's a number of elders that are selected, 70 of them. Two of them start to prophesy. Joshua is jealous for Moses' leadership. He said, hey, you need to restrain them. And Moses says, no. We'd love it if more of that was happening. There's more than just one leader. We want multiple people getting engaged and getting involved. In Numbers 13, 8, and Numbers 14, 6, 8, and 9, Joshua is chosen as one of 12 to go in and spy the land that he's about to now take. Ten of those spies come back, say, nope, we can't do it. People are too big, too scary. We're not going. Joshua and Caleb look and say, yeah, our confidence is in God. He's given us this. Let's go. The people kind of grumble and complain. They end up spending 40 years in the wilderness waiting their time. Caleb and Joshua will be the two that are allowed to enter into that promised land. In Deuteronomy 3.28, the transfer of leadership is happening to Joshua. See, all those different ways that Joshua was with Moses and what he saw. And that's just what we have recorded. But he was with him. The best way to be prepared is to be with someone that has the courage and is following God. We're either asking for someone to prepare us, we're either preparing someone, or it's both in. How's that happen at 121 today? On this promotion Sunday, when our kids are moving up, which this is an exciting day for some, it's probably scary for others to move from being a fifth grader to now being a middle schooler in sixth grade or from eighth grade and now becoming a high schooler or for a, a pre-K now or going into her kindergarten, now going into first grade. And, uh, and yet it's a, it's a fantastic day because these are opportunities we have to prepare our children, the now generation, and how to be a follower of Jesus. So we have right now, not, so we're not just talking about kids. In our kids' areas, we have over 60 adults that are preparing our students. We have 55 adults that are preparing our children, first through fifth grade. We have over 100 that are involved in creation land with our uh, preschoolers. They're, they're pouring themselves into them. We have adults that are pouring into single moms, teen moms, young moms, young men, older men. We have 50 mentors that have been trained and are available right now for one-on-one mentoring and discipling, if you had any interest in that. Bev Pinker is leading a group of fourth grade girls. I was in the office the other day, and, and one of the fourth graders came out, and uh, she'd just been in Bev's class. They're Bible mapping. I didn't know what Bible mapping meant, so I asked the fourth grader. That's when you know it's happening, when you ask the one being taught what they're being taught. And this fourth grade girl just gave such a beautiful description of how they're taking the Bible and they're choosing different words and then they're studying those words. And then she quoted the verse. You gotta love it. That's just one person pouring into fourth grade girls. We had several fourth grade kids go with their parents to Honduras a few weeks ago. It's parents who are mentoring and discipling their kids. I met with a college student this week. And after her freshman year in college, she said, you know what, I need to do something to get myself better equipped. So she left Friday for a two-week Summit Worldview Camp in Colorado so that she can be better prepared when she heads back to her, her college campus this fall. She's willing to be prepared and do what it takes so that she can prepare others. But I think my favorite part of the time with her is when she said, I'm just so grateful for my parents 
My mom has always just been full of joy. And my dad is so theologically sound in the way he studies and what he listens to, and he's just helped me so much over time. You see, in Deuteronomy 6, that's what God calls us to as parents. And the very best place for this with me idea is in the home. Now, not everybody has a shot at that now. We might have missed that shot, but it doesn't mean it's too late. But if you've got that shot, that's the best spot. And in Deuteronomy, it says that when our children rise up and when they walk through the day and when they sit down and when they lie down at night, that we're to be pouring the word into them all day long and all night long. And I said this last week. I'm going to come back and say it again. Uh, My son and I were talking about it uh, last night. Israelite children memorized Genesis through Deuteronomy. They didn't memorize small phrases out of certain verses. They didn't get little storybooks. They got the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and they memorized it. And we were just talking again last night, the gory and the good. I've just been trying to ponder what, why. Well, for one, a kid will never be able to come back and say, you didn't teach me that. No. We work so hard at it in the early stages of your life that you have inside of you all of this part of God's word. It's in you. And we're just praying God will cause us to rise up and that you cherish it and treasure it and that you want it and that you want to live and obey it. Spirit of God will bring it alive. But as parents, it's our job. While they're with us, to get it ingested in them and for them to see the way we live out. And when we blow it, we ask for forgiveness. But the best place for this is in the home. As I watched Riley's video and what she's doing, I just kind of left with the phrase for myself that today I just want to be like Riley. I'd love it if we were just a church full of Riley's. That starting young or old, doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, that as you're being prepared, you're turning around preparing others. She was preparing children when she was in early high school. She was, she is preparing middle schoolers now that she's in college. And she's one of this whole group of girls that's always hanging out with Courtney, who leads our girls in the student area. It's so fun. There's always this pack of girls around Courtney. They're with her. They're with her. If I had a daughter today, I would want my daughter with Courtney. I'm going to be like Riley. What about you? This is not just for some. It's for every person in the room and online. We may need to ask somebody to prepare us or we need to be preparing others. Most of us are capable of preparing someone right now. All right, that's the place I said I would hover. Let's go a little more quickly here in verse 3 through 5. If we're going to have the courage to follow God, we're going to have to believe in the promises and presence of God. Every place in which the sole of your foot treads, I've given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. Now, I love that in verse 3 because he says to Joshua, I've given it to you. That's in past tense already done. It's yours. The land is yours. 
I've secured it for you. All you have to do is step into it. God is a sovereign God, and he'll, his plans are perfect, and he'll execute those, and he invites us into them. The question is, will we step into those plans? And so here's the, the promise that he's made. I've already given it to you. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. He has this big widespread territory. Again, I apologize. I did not give us a map that would be helpful today. Uh, the good news is you can Google it if you're really interested, or you can use chat GPT, and it will spit it out to you like that. You don't even have to research it. Just put a sentence question in there, and it'll do it. Verse 5, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. There's the with me. And now it's God is with us. So just I've been with Moses. You've seen me with him. I'm going to be with you, and I will not fail you nor forsake you. When God has an assignment for us, his promise is, I will be with you. And I will not fail you. The question is, do we believe him? Do we really believe that he is a sovereign God, unchanging, God of love, holy God, in all of who he is, a God of truth? We can trust him and believe him. He promises. When he gives us something to do, he will not fail. And he will be with us to do it. Courage to follow God will only happen when we actually believe and trust that God's promises are yes and that his presence is with us. There's a third piece here, and I was really careful how I wrote this. Uh, if we're going to have courage to follow God, then we anchor ourselves firmly in the detail of God's word. Anchor ourselves firmly in the detail of God's word. Verse 6, this is the first of four times that it says to be strong and courageous in chapter 1. There's something about us that needs to be told again and again. Here's Joshua who has seen so much, been a part of so much, and yet here at the outset of his new mission to take the people across the Jordan River into the Promised Land, he needs to be told multiple times to be strong and courageous. Now, why would that be? Well, some of it might be that he knows the people he's leading. He's seen them in action. They just spent 40 years in a wilderness out of disobedience, and they were grumbling and complaining a good part of the time they were out in the wilderness. He watched them turn on God in no time flat when the glory of God was consuming them out. They could see it. And while they could see it, they're building an altar and worshiping an idol. There has to be a strength and a courage when you're leading people who will turn on you on a dime. Those of us who are older understand that phrase. Be strong and courageous, for you should give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. So it's not just be strong and courageous, it's only and be very courageous. And be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. 
Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Yeah, I did that right. Right and left. So that you may have success wherever you go. Every detail. Don't look to the left or the right. Don't look at TikTok over here and Instagram over here. Don't look at Facebook here and the advice you get here and and the self-help book over here. Don't look at this news feed over here and this news feed over here. And don't listen to this news station here and this news station here to give you direction in life. Get your eyes off of that. Have tunnel vision on the Word of God. Don't look here, don't look here. Just immerse in the Word of God. Don't look to the left or right. You want to be in here if you want to have the most satisfying life. Don't be selective. Don't pick and choose. And don't reinterpret to feel better about the cultural moment. This is clear. This is not hard. I I know there's some hard names. I know there's some hard rivers to pronounce. I know there's some hard countries to think about. I know the history is a little bit of a challenge at times. But the overall idea is not difficult. We're working way too hard to try to change it today to make it fit our sinful narrative. Not to the left or right. Firmly, in the detail, anchored to God's word. Treasure it, cherish it, honor it. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to the word. Your word I've treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've treasured it. I cherish it. I honor it. God's word, it's breathed out by him. We are handling today his God-breathed word. And it's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sweeter than honey and also the drippings of the honeycomb. Oh my, well, you just cherish it, love it. Don't look to the left or right. Verse 8, this would be a good theme for the book of Joshua, a good theme verse if you like to memorize. <clears throat> this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have success. This is one of the best news verses ever because it simply says, if I will read this, then I'm going to be wealthy, I'm going to be healthy, I'm going to be prosperous in every way. It says it right here in verse 8. If that did not disturb your spirit, what I just said, then there's a misunderstanding of who God is and what he says in his word. You'll prosper and you'll have success in the assignments that God gives you as long as you keep your eyes on him immersed in his word. Do not let someone out there use this as a way to say, this is how you get wealth and this is how you get great health. No. If you do this, you might end up dead somewhere. Because God might have a really hard mission for you for the sake and the glory of his name. 
So what does he say? This book of the law, it's not far from it. Meditate on it day and night. When I was in high school, there was a speech teacher that was really pretty. And so I took speech. thought it was a good move. <laughs> I was terrible at it. Never got out of the first round of a speech tournament in poetry or prose. It's just horrible to read that stuff. <laughs> but I did get one little poetic line for us today. Not left or right, but all day and night. That is why I never advanced out of the first round, by the way. But that is helpful in verses 7 and 8. With God's word, not left or right, but all day and night. I want God's word rolling through me. He said, meditate on it. The way we'll know God's assignments will be as we meditate on him and his word. The word meditate is the idea of a cow that's chewing its cud. And, and those who understand that, you know what I'm talking about. They chew it and then they swallow it. And then it comes back up and they chew it again and then they swallow it. I don't know how many iterations there are of that, but that's what they do. And that's what he's saying, to, to meditate on God's word, to, to ingest it, to read it, to study it, to hide it and get it just rolling around in there. You say, how am I supposed to do that day and night? I have a job to do, or I have an education to get. Absolutely. And the more you study this and meditate on it and memorize it, it will kind of flow through you as you're studying. And it will come through as you're making big business decisions. Like, I can't think of a better thing to be rolling through me as I'm making decisions that impact lots of people. Calls for work to do that though. To memorize it. I, I believe the best way to do this is to memorize it. Because once it's there, then it can roll around. And depending on our age, it does get harder. I memorized quite a bit when I was younger, and I started losing stuff a few years ago, and I thought, what happened? And I, I have to work really hard at it, a whole lot harder than I did in the past. But it's worth it. Because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ, they're in his word. And so I just want to meditate and linger in it. The other day I had lunch with Jermaine. And, and if you just wanted to, uh, with me, he's our student pastor for those who are new here. And I went, and he was sitting at lunch, and, and when I arrived, he'd already kind of been dialoguing with a group of high school students that were sitting in there, and, uh, and then he'd already built a relationship with the owner of the restaurant, and I'm just kind of watching, and I'm loving it, how he just, he just easily says to the guy, hey, yeah, it's been a good summer. He said, I just got back from Uganda three weeks ago, and God used this book, Growing Strong in Discipleship, and, and this girl trusted Christ at the end of those three days. And then Jermaine told us the other day, this book he's been using to get memory verses so that he has that, so he's been memorizing. Now every guy's discipling, they're memorizing those verses. You see, it's preparing or being prepared. It's hiding God's Word. Verse 9. So if I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So be strong and courageous. Here it is again. 
I'm going to be with you wherever you go. Here's your assignment. Now, practically, let's think about this a minute. This would be a scary assignment. I'm about to lead this whole load of people. I've got to figure out how I'm getting across this river first. And then we're about to take this land. What scary assignment does God have for you? Maybe you've not quite been willing to step. I don't know what it is. I know this. In Matthew 28, every one of us that's a Christian has been assigned to be a disciple maker. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. I'm with you even to the end of the age. Who does God want you discipling, preparing to be more of a follower of his and the courage to do it? Who who does he want you to ask to disciple you so that you can continue to have the courage to follow God? Can you be doing both at the same time? Is God calling anyone to something global? You've just been afraid to let it go. You might be in something right now where you're making a load of money and you're absolutely miserable because you haven't been immersed in God's word and you took on an assignment that really wasn't the assignment God had for you. Crawford Loritz the other day, he said this. He goes, I'm weary today of how you're wired, your Enneagram, your personality test, your strengths finder results. God is bigger than those. He may want to take the introvert and do the most extroverted thing that's ever been done. See Moses in Exodus. I'm not saying those things are not helpful, but if those things have become the end all about what we do in following God, they're off. God may have some really scary assignments that don't fit your personality, don't fit your Enneagram 4 or 7 or 8 or 10 or however it works, or fit your strengths finder today. He might want to work through your weakness today so that he gets the glory for it. Matter of fact, that's what he says in Corinthians. He takes the weak and base things of the world, and that's what he works through. Let's not let the psychologists of the world dictate what God's assignments are. 10 through 18, last thought, a big wrap. Get everyone involved. Joshua goes to his officers. He goes to two and a half tribes that are on the east side of the Jordan. That's where their land will be. And he says to them, hey, you're going to help us go across the river and conquer this land. We're all in this together. It's not like uh, the nine and a half tribes are going to go take care of this. All 12 tribes, we're doing this together. And that's what God has called us to do today. He's called us as a church for everyone to get involved. Everyone. That, that's his design. Every person's a part of the body. And we all go across that river together. 
to walk in whatever it is that he's calling us to walk in. What is that for you today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Love it. And God, I pray that personally that I would cherish it and treasure it and honor. And Father, I pray as I do that, that others will be drawn to do the same. So I ask your help. And Father, I pray we would be a, a, a church that just loves you and that we're preparing others and being prepared for both and all the time. So God, will you spark that in people today? Will you help us to take those scary assignments? And scary for us might be just even writing my story or, and giving it to somebody. Or scary might be, I've never worked with students before, but I know they'll help me, so I'm going to do it. Or with kids or preschoolers or, or maybe I'll host uh, a group of young adults uh, and, and have impact on them. Or, uh, or maybe I'm 70 and I need somebody to disciple me. I've never had that happen before. Uh, and I want to I finish my days well in, in making disciples, and so I'll step out in that. Or maybe God's calling somebody and you just had no idea uh, to somewhere globally and really uncomfortable, and you're thinking, oh, no. Uh, and yet, God, that'll be the very best place for them to be. Uh, so, Father, I pray that we would have the courage uh, to follow you, that we not be silent in these days, that we not waver or shrink back, uh, but, God, that, that we would have our eyes fixed on you, immersed in your word, not to the left or the right, but all day and night, God, I pray that your word would fill us, flood our hearts, and, God, that we know your assignments day to day as we keep our eyes on you, and I pray in Jesus' name. If we could just be quiet for a moment, and then Eric will come and uh, wrap us up. And in the quiet, what is God saying today uh, that you want to step into obedience to?